thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, fabulous listeners. Thanks so much for joining us today on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And hey, don't forget to follow us on social media. So we are The Wellness Women on Facebook, The Wellness Women Official on Instagram. You can find Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I am uh, The Period Whisperer on Facebook and DrAndrea.xo on Instagram. And I think I'm just that as well on YouTube. Hey, Ash, what's your new Instagram handle as well? Is it The Pregnancy Cairo? Yeah, uh, yeah, the pregnancy chiropractor, but I'm not using it too much. So just go with Dr. Ashley Bond and <laughs> they'll all cross over. <laughs> okay, excellent. Easy peasy. So tonight we are going to do some deep dives into women's health. I think this actually came off a question from your uh, workshop, didn't it? When we were doing your seminar, there was a, a kind of attendance question of, hey, what's the difference between endometriosis and adenomyosis and I know that on that moment we was like hang on probably a bit too far to go into this one right now but we thought what a great question to cover in our podcast so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, and I do think it was such a good question and it is certainly a bit of a clinical um, conundrum but certainly a really important um, differentiation to make as well. And if the, you know, our wonderful attendee from the, um, you know, the workshop we did a little while ago is here listening. Um, thanks for the inspiration for this, uh, episode. Um, interestingly enough, I do see adenomyosis a lot more often in 
um, older women. Now, when I mean older, I mean women in their sort of um, like late 20s, 30s and early 40s, as opposed to women with, say, endometriosis who might be diagnosed in their 20s or early 30s. So it's sort of a feature that tends to come on a little bit later. And uh, just to give you know a bit of context or some definitions around the difference between the two of them, and then we'll talk about why this is important in a moment. So obviously endometriosis is the abnormal growth of endometrial tissue and, you know, the the glandular and the stromal cells of the endometrium outside of the actual uterus, which can obviously bleed, adhere to create fibrosis and scar tissue and everything else from the uterus to the ovaries, the bowel, bladder. Um, it can, you know, that that tissue can infiltrate the actual bowel itself, which is normally then when we call it deep infiltrating endometriosis. Um, you know, there's even been endometrial tissue that's been found in the liver and the lungs and even the eyes of certain people as well. So it's a really, um, really painful condition, an absolutely debilitating condition for a lot of women, um, and it takes a really long time for proper diagnosis and proper management of it. Um, so for endometriosis, like any of my patients that come in with this on their form, I always sigh because I know that for them to have had a diagnosis of something like that, or if it's even being considered, the amount of suffering that they must be going through each month with their period and even outside of the period as well, because those symptoms don't have to just be um, isolated to the menstrual bleeding time. Um, is just, you know, that that suffering is just, you know, out of this world and really hard for anyone who doesn't experience it to really understand that. Um, okay, so that's sort of the endometriosis um, sort of picture, whereas adenomyosis is different in the sense that it is that endometrial tissue that has then invaded or grown within the myometrium, so the actual muscular lining of the uterus itself, and it's not supposed to be there. Um, and again, it can bleed and inflame and is a really, really painful condition as well. But the two are um, very, you know, very similar in their sort of presentation. However, I want to differentiate them tonight because I do think that that is important. And I think the reason why it's important is because I don't know, meiosis is actually easier to diagnose. And in my opinion, it's easier to address and is has a better um, sort of uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, Ash? Why can't you read my mind tonight? It's um, it has a, a better um, prognostic mm-hmm. um, prognostic sort of uh, value, and I actually do find it a little bit easier to treat if it just is isolated to adenomyosis. There's a huge amount of overlap between these two conditions, and I think in one study I was reading that women with endo do have adenomyosis in sort of up to 80% of cases, but it doesn't necessarily have to go in the reverse. Does that make sense? It does. I've heard that um, adenomyosis has been, you know, called the evil uh, cousin of endometriosis and there's a lot of similarities. They share a lot of commonalities, but there's obviously some big differences. So, I mean, some of the symptoms that women will realise are very common to both, which is why sometimes the diagnosis can be mixed up for a, a while there or, you know even misdiagnosed at times, Um, some of those common symptoms that you'll see for both of those conditions will be things like obviously the classic painful periods, cramping, you know, obviously we call that dysmenorrhea. Um, Sometimes we're going to experience things like painful 
bowel movements, um, heavy menstrual bleeding with lots of clots, mm-hmm. uh, numbness and pain in the nerves around the pelvis. So sometimes women will feel, you know, a lot of just sensory pain in and around their pelvis, um, abdominal pain, possibly pain on urination, uh, pain with intercourse. Like there's just common things there that mm. could signal um, many different pelvic you know, concerns and obviously the painful heavy periods with clotting is a classic for both your endometriosis and your adenomyosis. Um, but obviously there's also uh, some symptoms of endo that can persist all the way through the monthly cycles. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important differentiation to make Mm. there is that normally I find symptoms with adenomyosis are more centralized and localized to more of the uterine um, sort of area, so that lower abdominal space, whereas endometriosis symptoms can be really diffuse. So that's where we'll normally see, like, obviously the the very strong, um, you know, period pain and everything else, but we'll often get that referred pain into the low back, up into the stomach. Um, There can be a lot more bowel-related changes with endometriosis as well, and particularly when they have their period, a lot more, um, I guess, pain with even moving their bowels. And the timing of um, the, the two conditions can also be really important and can be part of that diagnostic feature. So I find that women with adenomyosis will mostly have t- um, pain around their period only, whereas women with endometriosis can have pain all month long. And, um, you know, those palpatory changes or, you know, if you're, you're palpating someone's um, abdomen with endometriosis, all month long you can feel adhesions. Um, they might uh, be uncomfortable with all of that, whereas in adenomyosis, often it's just localized to the period. And obviously for these women, sometimes that can last up to seven days or longer. So it's still a really significant proportion of the month where they are in a lot of discomfort. Um, but I do find that it's much more centralized and localized both for the timing of their symptoms and um, where those symptoms are coming from as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're saying regarding cyclic levels, it's so important to realise too that essentially both of them have tissue infiltrations um, outside or deep into the layers of the uterus that limits the normal endometrial shedding that occurs through the menstrual cycle and that's why there is like the increased pain response that's why there can be issues of reduced fertility or sometimes infertility um, because obviously it's affecting tissue at far greater layers um, and obviously external to the uterus which you know in the case of endometriosis is far more significant um, in terms of the locations that can be found and I think Mm. you know when women know that then they realize why some of the diagnostic recommendations come down to how do we find it so let's talk about how women can investigate this because i know recently had a conversation with a client and um you know the heavy painful periods anamosis endometriosis kind of both of these things are being diagnosed which is interesting like you said there can be that crossover um and the recommendation for her with four children but only being in her early 30s is to have a hysterectomy which you know any woman who is in their early 30s cannot even fathom the idea of a hysterectomy. It's very significant and substantial surgery, um, often leading women to be on hormone replacement for many, many decades to come. Um, so from that perspective, it's like, okay, wow, what's what are our other alternatives? How do we 
obviously discover if the diagnosis is accurate and then of course you know what can we do about it so um we're talking before the show you know some of the things that women can do before the most invasive approaches um run us through some of those things andrea so still, um, you know, in the endometriosis world, the gold standard diagnostic mechanism is through laparoscopic surgery. So the tissue, the endometriosis needs to be visualized um, and it also needs to be confirmed under histological examination. So, a, a you know, essentially a sample of that tissue needs to be taken and looked at a micro, under a microscope and saying, yes, that is actually endometrial tissue that has um, occurred outside the, the uterus, for example. So that is how endometriosis is diagnosed clinically right now. However, I wholeheartedly believe that endometriosis can be diagnosed with less invasive means and, you know, even and often just purely by a symptomatic picture alone. But there is really good evidence for diagnostic ultrasound and that is using transvaginal ultrasound to show um, all sorts of different signs as to whether or not there's endometriosis is a possibility. And in Often there is up to an 86% diagnostic accuracy of endometriosis on ultrasound and there's there's a stack of different signs that we would look for that that would be the case and one of them can simply just be pain during the actual ultrasound. So women who do have pain while they're performing that, that is actually part of the, what can be part of that diagnostic picture. Being able to actually visualize the ovaries is also part of it, um, making sure that each of the ovaries are mobile and there's not adhesions to them and all sorts of other things. So there is, um, you know, in, in my opinion, sort of I think about five to ten different signs that they can look for that's all part of that picture. Obviously, we can also do an MRI, but that is more specific if there's large areas of endometriosis that have been um, sort of detectable. So normally that um, is useful in sort of more advanced or later stages um, of endo. So, um, you know, the the absolute gold standard is still laparoscopic surgery, but I, I don't believe that women need to undergo that to actually have a diagnosis. Um, and with adenomyosis, I guess the same thing is still true. So they, they still require that surgical visualization, the histology of it, but it is much easier to see it via ultrasound and MRI. So it's much easier to pick up on both of those um, and which are very non-invasive and have very, very low risks as well because it's not ionizing radiation that you're getting from those as well. Um, and some, obviously the key feature that we would see with adenomyosis on those is a, a much more bulky uterus. We would see lots of layers to the myometrium um, with that endometrial tissue that would be in there and the actual layers of the or the lining of the uterus would not be um, continuous so there would be um, you know it would not look um, heterogeneous as we would call it there would be lots of lots of um, different layers and all sorts of things where that endometrial like tissue has invaded into those underlying cellular layers um, so I in summary for that, it's much easier to pick up on ultrasound and MRI, which I think is great because if we can, you know, understand that, then if we can get almost like a window of knowing that, all right, so adenomyosis is a possibility, then could we potentially help to decrease its progression 
instead of going straight to, say, a laparoscopic surgery or like what you were mentioning, Ash, going straight to a hysterectomy, for example, because all of the current treatment options for adenomyosis and endo are fairly heavy going, um, which is certainly necessary in a lot of cases. And most of those treatments are targeted at pain reduction, um, a decrease in the heaviness of the bleeding and, you know, a decrease in that inflammatory cascade. Um, but we also know that there are um, lots of treatments that might be um, or that may be useful that um, are not uh, doesn't don't come with such high risks as well. Yeah, I love that uh, everywhere I sort of had a look through literature regarding adenomyosis, it kept saying definitive treatment is hysterectomy. It was just like the number one thing. And then they said, oh, but there's also possibility of avoiding that final solution, um, conservative mm. treatment with pain medication and hormonal suppression of the periods. And I was just like, surely there's another option here. We've got uh, option A, B and C, but there must be a few more than that. But that was essentially the medical approach to it, which I think is interesting given your successes in your practice and how you've helped women mm. uh, achieve very much symptomatic relief. Um, obviously, mm. full resolution is anyone's guess whether the body can, yeah. you know, reverse um, infiltrated tissue. But the comfort and the quality of life is what women are after, you know, and that's the most important mm. thing. So, what um, I guess for you know most of the ladies listening who do have adenomyosis, I think the thing that we would both talk about as frontline approach is, you know, what is your diet and lifestyle like? and yep. uh, looking at some of the ways in which women can directly influence their inflammatory, you know, cascades to see if we can downregulate cytokines and all these other, you know, inflammatory um, markers in the body to assist anywhere that's experiencing inflammation. So obviously inflammation reduction is not going to specifically target the uterus, but it will systemically target sites of inflammation, which is why it's so helpful to take this approach for irrespective of whether it's adenomyosis or endometriosis, the improvements can be vast for both. And I think that's a really interesting um, thing that a lot of women are not told first and foremost to clean up the diet and to remove highly inflammatory processed foods. And as much as I know we sound like such broken records when we talk about this sort of stuff, and I also absolutely understand that women who experience such horrific hemorrhagic periods, for us to say something as flippant as let's look at your diet and lifestyle sometimes can feel like um, it's too simple. However, I know um, from many years and of clinical experience and thousands and thousands of patients with these conditions and also all of the anecdotal evidence and literature that supports decreasing that systemic inflammation, that diet is an absolute trigger for worsening pain. And it so, seems unfair, doesn't it? Because obviously when we're in pain, yeah. we tend to seek out um, what I would call comfort food or comfort <laughs> drinks. This is often where women will self-medicate, potentially using alcohol or, you know, enjoying uh, rich foods, sweet foods, things that just make you emotionally feel better. But unfortunately, the consequence of that is the increase in inflammation, which in the long term doesn't really help uh, improve the condition in any way. It just keeps promoting that cyclical inflammatory pain, discomfort, and all the other symptoms that come from elevated inflammation. So, um, yeah, it, it's you're right. It sounds dismissive to say something so simple because when we're talking about uh, medical doctors saying, oh, well, you know, your frontline treatment is hysterectomy, how on earth can a diet possibly change something that the doctors have told me needs hormones 
pain medication or hysterectomy, they're my options. Um, So, yes, that does, you know, ring true for a lot of women thinking, how on earth is cutting out gluten and dairy going to make my (laughs) pelvis improve? Um, But like you said, your experience and, you know, potentially the experiences of literally thousands of natural medicine doctors, they will all say the same thing. You know, I think that's the most amazing thing. If you look in the right places and you filter your searches, you suddenly open up the gateway. So like, oh my gosh, this is not weird new information. This has been going on for decades. People do know this, but obviously, you know, your first two pages of Google search are not going to show up with your natural medicine options when it comes to searching something like adenomyces. So ladies, always be careful of how you search. You know, I know it sounds funny, but where you get information from and how you search for that information can sometimes limit your understanding or opportunities to do things differently. Um, I've noticed how often these days, if I'm looking up something, the first like probably half dozen pages, search pages on Google are filtered towards very specific sites. And it's just like, oh, that's interesting. Who controls that? Uh, Because there's no reference to anything that is uh, alternative to what I would call conventional medical approaches, which is, um, yeah, a little bit concerning because it means most people won't see or hear or access the information they actually really need. Um, yeah, so I've moved over to DuckDuckGo as my search engine over Google now and just because um, it's much less um, biased and, and sold. But anyway, um, that, that you know, we're kind of digressing there, which is totally fine. You've got to remember what the underlying pathogenesis of endometriosis and adenomyosis is. And one of the main clinical features of that is inflammation, immunological reactions that then create that pain. So we've got to calm down that inflammatory fire, calm down that immune reaction. And, you know, obviously the biggest things that's going to stir that is the things that we're putting on our mouth, in our mouth and on our body. So my go-to for these patients is always to cut out gluten, dairy, sugar, and alcohol um, and to remove those from the diet for a period of time. And normally it's a minimum of three months. Because when we're talking about these really disordered, um, you know, hormonal conditions, we have to allow a minimum of three months um, of, you know, a treatment intervention to actually start to see like a um, like a, a big cyclical change. Um, there's certainly really potent anti-inflammatory, um, you know, herbs that we can use. Uh, there's even things like just as simple as omega-3 fatty acids. So fish oils have been shown to be comparable to anti-inflammatory medications when it comes to period pain. So just, you know, even those sorts of things, it's going to help that blood flow a little bit easier can be useful. Um, And uh, I tend to use a lot of uterine tonics that help to decrease the real heaviness of the bleeding itself, which will hopefully decrease that hemorrhagic gushing that it, that I tend to see women with adenomyosis experience a lot of. So I I hear a lot of them talking about that kind of that gushing of the period because it is so heavy. Um, So normally that's actually a relatively easy thing to get under control. Um, as long as we're also addressing, you know, the other things that can go with that, like the iron deficiency anemia and everything else. Um, and then we've just got to work on decreasing that inflammation, that immune reaction and the hormonal imbalances that drove that in the first place. Um, so making sure, you know, those um, estrogen metabolism pathways are working really, really well, that the liver is clearing that beautifully, that the gut is spot on for that as well. Um, and then also just making sure that that uterine environment is conducive for 
um, you know, anti-inflammatory actions. And that might be um, even using things like probiotics to change that uterine microbiome so that it favors more anti-inflammatory um, sort of pathways rather than signaling inf inflammation as well. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. You always make sense. That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Ash. Sometimes I just go on tangents and I'm certain that I don't make sense. Um, no, okay. hear that out. And I think that that's a pretty clear direction there with regards to the dietary approach. You know, it's just mm -hmm. it's that insistence that at least go there, do those things um, at some point in your journey just so you can confirm for yourself how your body feels, how it changes, and give it time. You know, none of those things will happen overnight. It's not going to be one or two weeks. You need a good one to three months to really see some change, a uh, minimum of at least, I would say for most women, at least three cycles. I tend to find is a, a reasonable amount of time to um, assess for change. What do you tend to find? Yeah, and that's what I said as well, Ash, like mm. a minimum of three months um, they yeah. need to allow for at an absolute minimum. Mm. Um, and often, you know, we'll get changes before that, which is lovely, but just for the, just, you know, to be realistic. Um, and I think we're in such a, an, a time and world of we want instant change and we want, you know, the magic pill that will um, transform things literally overnight. And it, it unfortunately it just does not exist. Um, mm. And when it comes to something like adenomyosis or endometriosis, you know, you just absolutely cannot fence it because the progression of these conditions can be so serious and so debilitating that it's worth, you know, really getting to the root cause of that and then trying to slowly unpack that. And, and um, it does take these things to do that. And whether or not women um, want to use a combination of conventional Western medicine and as well as dietary and lifestyle intervention and everything else, you know, that's absolutely fine. But I do tend to find that if one piece of that puzzle is missing, then it really, you can't get to the root cause of it. Um, now, medically speaking, there are other options such as like uterine artery embolization where um, the, the major sort of arteries that are feeding that end of, that adenomyosis are cauterized, um, and so then though you know that bloody tissue will start to degradate, and then they'll get a sloughing off of that tissue throughout their subsequent periods. Um, now that can be successful, particularly if there are large fibroids present as well, um, which can be contributing to that really heavy bleeding. Um, but it is also a very painful procedure to go through that women aren't normally warned about appropriately. Um, and then the other option is also, you know, uterine ablations as well. So um, there are a couple of other surgical options there before getting to the point of hysterectomy. Um, and, you know, there's a whole host of different medical treatments that involve, you know, blocking the production of those hormones, um, you know, aromatase inhibitors where it's stopping the testosterone converting into estrogen. Um, and, you know, there's also a whole bunch of anti-inflammatories and very strong pain medication that they'll use with that as well. But there's also like lots and lots of risks that are associated with that too. Um, Ash, I really want us to do a follow-up episode on um, what the current research is on the the best available treatment options for endometriosis, because I think a lot has changed since we did our last um, episode on endo, which is probably two years ago now. Mm. Um, so I think that that would be a really good one to dive into um, just to help, you know, empower women who do have this, um, may have been given one of these diagnoses to, you know, make some good change. 
Yeah, look, I think some of the recent research is indicating that there is good outcomes for women with the that mixed approach, you know, the minimally invasive surgical approaches coupled with dietary lifestyle changes, reduction in stress responses and things like that. It, exactly. It's a really, it seems to be, you know, a conservative but effective approach, which is great because obviously mm-hmm. we want to try and help women retain a uterus as long as humanly possible um, yep. if possible for always um so anything that will allow that to happen which is really awesome that there's been research looking at the co-management you know how to Mm. co-manage this with conventional surgical plus nutritional dietary lifestyle changes which i think you know tends to be where we sit with a lot of things isn't it that if there's something that can help you better let's find that something Um, Mm. you know it may not be one thing it may be a, a myriad of different things coupled together nutritional lifestyle targeted medicine approaches combined with surgical Mm -hmm. if needed combined with you know stress management and all these other lifestyle targeted lifestyle approaches too so i'm pretty confident that our chat about endo will be a very similar one to that (laughs) what's the latest you know what's the research showing so we definitely will will do that Um, and also what the research is not showing and mm. what treatment options are now obsolete that shouldn't be recommended anymore but i think we're totally getting ahead of ourselves i'm looking forward to doing that one um ladies just in summary um i just want to go through that symptom picture again just to um, help you to differentiate what the differences are so with adenomyosis as opposed to or versus endometriosis the symptoms are more localized the timing or the temporality of the symptoms and the pain is also usually more localized and specific around the actual menstrual period. Um, The uterus itself will normally feel more bulky. The bleeding is often heavier and can be hemorrhagic and they can experience that almost that gushing of um you know that menstrual blood um the there should be less adhesions though and there should be mobile ovaries and a mobile uterus too so just for any of our practitioners listening if they can do have those good palpatory skills they should be able to still even though it may feel more bulky the uterus should still feel mobile as should the ovaries um and whereas opposed with endometriosis that pain in the symptoms is much more diffuse and it doesn't have to be just be centralized to the actual menstrual time itself love it okay that's a Excellent. good wrap. Good wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So we're going to leave it there. So, ladies, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. Uh, we are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.